Let's turn around and shake hands, fellowship one with another. Get out of your seat. Welcome our visitors today.
that made, made me whole. I shall never cease to praise Him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. That's why I touch me one day, aren't you? Praise the Lord. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. As they do so, let me remind you that your special giving to our building fund, uh, you can do that anytime. Just make sure that you mark it on your envelope or on your check or something there so we know that it's going toward the building uh, fund and the building program and all the construction that is going on. Appreciate everybody's giving last week. Uh, total was $39,218. I think that's right. Something like that. And old Bob gave 5000 of that. We praise God for that. And But uh, that was great. We praise the Lord for it. Appreciate your giving. And I hope that many of you over the course of the next several months will give something every week or once a month or maybe pray about a special gift uh, even over the course of the, never, of the next several weeks to the building program, and we'd appreciate it so much. If you came through there this morning, you saw how they've really gone to town this week on everything, and uh, so we're excited about all the things that are going on. Saturday night, or rather Friday night, Friday night, let me correct that, we'll be having a singing here, fr <coughs> excuse me, Friday night, Justified, and be others here. So if you like good gospel music, you want to be here Friday night, 7 o'clock, uh, for the singing, and we enjoy having these. Of course, today, or this is Memorial Weekend, and we do want to recognize certain ones and remember certain ones this morning and honor them. Of course, Memorial Day is a time that we remember, especially those who have given their life serving our country, and, and then for all of those that have served our country. Uh, many of you know I've been uh, 
was asked all several months ago, about a year ago, to do a book for Ambassador Emerald House on daily devotions. And it's kind of a spinoff of a little radio broadcast that I used to do. Many of you remember uh, the little two-minute broadcast that I did, uh, two minutes in the morning, two minutes in the afternoon, entitled A Thought About Your Day. And I would take something that happened on each particular day and uh, do a devotion with it. And uh, so they approached me and asked me if I would do a daily devotional for them. And then, uh, of course, the stateside office is here in Greenville, South Carolina, the main office in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So when I was over there in January, they asked me if I would get it done by the end of May. And if I get it done by the end of May, they would have it ready and introduce it here in home, and on homecoming in September. So by the grace of God, I finished up at 5 o'clock on Friday morning this past week. And so I've got to get everything corrected this week. But I want to read to you the devotion that will be in the book for May the 30th. And I think it will be fitting for this particular day. And each page, of course, has a verse for the day and then something that occurred on that day as well as my own personal comments and uh, that which is devotion. But I want to read this one for May the 30th and, uh, and remember those that uh, a Memorial Day. On this day in 1868... Memorial Day became an officially sanctioned holiday. First called Decoration Day, the day was established to honor the soldiers who had died in the Civil War. The day was eventually extended to commemorate all U.S. soldiers killed in war. General John A. Logan, Commander-in-Chief of the Grand Army of the Republic, an organization of Union veterans of the Civil War, named May the 30th as a special day to honor the graves of Union soldiers. The location of the first Memorial Day has often been disputed, but in 1966, the U.S. government proclaimed Waterloo, New York, as the birthplace of Memorial Day. In 1971, the last Monday in May was made a federal holiday in honor of those who died serving the country. When I think of those who paid the ultimate price serving our country to preserve our values and freedom, I think of the words of Sir Walter Scott, Soldier, rest thy warfare o'er. Sleep the sleep that knows not breaking. Dream of battled fields no more. Days of danger, nights of waking. Today may each of us give thanks for those who gave their lives on our behalf. To them we owe a great debt and our heartfelt gratitude. Even more may we stop in our busy day and kneel before our Lord and Savior and give thanks that he gave his life that we might be free. For his ultimate sacrifice, we could never thank him enough. To our nation's heroes and our Savior, we say thank you. I'd like to recognize all of the, those in our building today that have had loved ones that gave their life serving our country. Would you stand in honor of them today that we may thank you on their behalf? Would you stand? If you lost a loved one serving this country, stand. Let's give them all our appreciation. Thank you so much. And we owe you a lot. We know today that not only did your loved one pay a great price, but you paid a great price as well. And then for anyone that has served our country, would you stand? We're grateful to each of you that have served our country in any capacity. Let's show our appreciation to all of our veterans. Thank you so much. Amen. We appreciate you. Father, we thank you today for so many things. We come today with a heart of gratitude for those who have served our country and especially for those who paid the ultimate price. 
Our privileges that we enjoy as Americans have cost the lives of many, and we're grateful for each one. Bless their families today. Bless all of our veterans. May we follow you and serve you in honor of all that you have done and what they have done. Bless now the offering in Jesus' name. Amen.
brokenness and strife, but he didn't throw the pieces away. He just put them back together and he molds them into shapes them into his image. And I'm thankful for that today. I think it's been a while since I've sang this song. I think I wore it out for a while, but I appreciate the message in this song. It says, he didn't throw the clay away. And I don't sing this song, but what I think about Buddy Woody, I didn't pass him, but what he always asked me to sing this song, whether I was in the hallway at the ball field, in Sunday school, whatever, he always asked me to sing this song. And I hope it's still his favorite. He didn't throw the clay away. Thank him for that truth, don't you? 
Take your Bible and turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 4, the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 4, and we're going to continue this morning looking at the prayer of Jabez. Would you stand, please, <clears throat> as we honor the reading of his word? 2 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 and verse 10. Wonderful prayer. We're asking and asking the Lord uh, to do these things in our lives, challenging you to make this your prayer. 1 Chronicles 4 and verse 9. The Bible said, And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. If you remember our first message, we saw that the name Jabez means pain, because I bear him with sorrow. Verse 10 is his prayer. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. I love this. And God granted him that which he requested. Now let's read verse 10 together. How many of you have been praying the prayer of Jabez? Wonderful. I want all of you to start praying it, but let's read verse 10 together. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Thank you. you. May be seated. This morning I want us to look at the third petition in his prayer. We're going to think about, Lord, let your hand be with me. Lord, let your hand be with me. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning as we come and as, as we gather here, <clears throat> we're grateful for all you've done for us. We're grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful for the shed blood and for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you do not throw the clay away, that you forgive us and you can take our lives and do something with them and honor and glorify yourself in it, even after failure. And we thank you for that. Now, Father, we ask you this morning that you would bless us and bless us indeed. And we ask you, Lord, that you would enlarge our coast. And, Father, today we ask you specifically that your hand might be with us. So open our hearts to the Word of God. Speak to us now, and we'll praise you, and we'll thank you, and we'll glorify your name, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I recently read about a man by the name of Connor O'Reilly. Connor O'Reilly was a poor Irishman of the last century who dreamed from just being a young fella of immigrating to America and living in America. Well, one day someone granted his dream or someone provided a way that his dream might be fulfilled. They bought him a ticket on an ocean liner that crossed the Atlantic, gave it to him that he might come to America. He is so excited about it. On the day that the ship was getting ready to depart, he took what few shillings he had. He was a very poor man. But he took what few shillings he had, bought him a few loaves of bread, and stuffed them into his tattered suitcase. Every day as he was crossing the Atlantic, 
During mealtimes, he would slip away to his berth, take out his tattered suitcase, and he would pull him off a piece of that bread, and he would eat it every day, three times a day, careful to eat only, uh, care, being very careful how much he ate because he wanted to last for the entire trip and for the first few days that he was in America. He would walk by the dining rooms of the ship, stare in the window, and just stand there and watch people as they ate those gourmet meals. And then he would slip away to his berth and he would eat a piece of his bread. Well, on the final night of the trip, there was a man that he had met that asked him to join him for the evening meal. Well, Connor O'Reilly blushed a little bit and he said, Ah, oh, many thanks to you, but I don't have any money. And a man looked at him and said, What are you talking about? You don't have any money. You don't have to have money to eat in the dining room. Do you not realize that your ticket to board the ship was also your ticket to the ship's dining room? and that you had three wonderful meals a day paid for since you boarded this ship. I think of the story of Connor O'Reilly, it reminds me of many believers. You see, there are many believers that are on their way to heaven, saved. They know Jesus Christ is their Savior, heaven is their home, but yet they're failing to enjoy the many wonderful things God has provided for them in Jesus Christ and in their salvation. You might say there are many believers that are on their way to heaven, slipping off to the berth and eating a bit of bread when you have the privilege to set sit in God's dining room and to enjoy a wonderful meal. D.L. Moody used to put it this way. He said, it's the difference between traveling to heaven first class and traveling to heaven second class. And there are some believers that are traveling to heaven second class when your ticket is a first class ticket. Well, when I think about Jabez, we've been looking at him for several weeks now. Jabez was an individual that realized he had a first class ticket to heaven. And he decided he was not going to travel to heaven second class. He was a believer that realized he had the privilege of sitting in God's dining room enjoying a wonderful meal rather than having to nibble on bread. He realized there were many wonderful things God had for him and many wonderful things God wanted to do with him and by him and for him and through him. And so there was a day that Jabez began to pray to ask God for these things in his life. There were four things Jabez prayed for. I'll put them on the screen for you. Two of them we've already looked at, the third one we'll look at today. But these are the four things Jabez prayed for. One, he prayed that God would bless him. He prayed that God would bless him indeed. And you remember our message on that particular petition? We saw that the word indeed there puts great emphasis upon what he's asking. So what he was saying is, Lord, I want you to bless me. And I not only want you to bless me, but I want you to bless me a lot. I want you to bless me indeed. The second thing that Jabez prayed for was that God would enlarge his coast. Literally, that God would enlarge his territory. It goes back to the inheritance God gave. And it's like Jabez said, Lord, here's the boundaries to my property. Here's what my deed says. But Lord, I'm wanting you, wanting you to extend my boundaries. I want you to give me more than I've already received. And Jabez is praying that God would enlarge his coast. He is praying that God would give him more. The third thing that he prays for is that the hand of God would be with him. And the last thing that he prays for that we'll look at next Sunday, he prays that God would keep him 
from evil. So we've seen the first two. Let's look at the third one today. The petition where he prays that the hand of God would be with him. You look in the Bible and you'll find that many times the Bible speaks about the hand of God. And many times the Bible speaks about the hand of God being with someone or the hand of God being upon someone. 1 Kings 18, 46, the Bible said of Elijah that the hand of the Lord was on him. In Ezra 7, verse 6, the Bible talks about the hand of God was upon Ezra. Ezekiel talked about how that he was carried away by the Spirit of God and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Many, many times the Bible talks about the hand of God and talks about the hand of the Lord being on someone. Jabez prays, Lord, I want your hand to be with me. Now, what is it that Jabez is praying for? When he prays that the hand of God be with him, what specifically is he asking? Well, I want us to look at the hand of God, and I'll give you three simple little things. I want to say a word about defining the hand of God, describing the hand of God, and desiring the hand of God. But look at these three things. One, let me say a word about defining the hand of God. Jabez prays that the hand of God be with him. He's praying about God's hand, doing something specific in his life. What is he praying for? What was he asking God for? Well, as you look in the Bible, as it said, there are many times you'll find reference to the hand of God, the hand of the Lord, the Lord's hand, His hand. You'll find that those references carry basically these two ideas. One, the hand of God speaks of the power of God. You'll find as you study the Bible that when the Bible talks about the hand of God, it is often speaking of the power of God. Look at Isaiah 59 and verse 1. Isaiah 59, 1, the Bible said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot say, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. Isaiah said the Lord's hand is not shortened. The word shortened there literally means to curtail. Isaiah was saying the Lord's hand is not shortened. The Lord's hand is not curtailed. The Lord's hand is not restricted. And he goes on to say and able to say. What he's saying is that the Lord's hand is a hand that is not limited. The Lord's hand is a powerful hand. Isaiah was declaring that the hand of the Lord was a hand of power. Joshua 4, 24, notice. Joshua 4, 24, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. One of the things, one of the reasons you find miracle after miracle in the book of Joshua is that God wanted people to know about his hand. He wanted them to know that his hand was mighty. 1 Peter 5, verse 6, the Bible said, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Joshua and Peter both described the hand of God as being mighty. Literally, the powerful hand of God. So for one thing, when you talk about the hand of God, you're talking about the power of God. The hand of God is a symbol of God's ability. It is a symbol of all that God can do. It is a symbol of His power. Second of all, it is not only a symbol of His power, but it is also a symbol of His presence. It speaks of the presence of the Lord. Look at Acts 11, verse 21. The book of Acts chapter 11, 21, the Bible said, And the hand <clears throat> excuse me, of the Lord was with them. Not only is the hand of God symbolic of His power, but it is also symbolic of His 
presence. The hand of the Lord was with them. The Lord's presence <clears throat> with the believers at Antioch is spoken of as being the hand of God. Ezekiel, you'll find the phrase the hand of God many, many times in Ezekiel. And if you just take your concordance and look up the phrase hand of God, you'll find Ezekiel references Ezekiel one right after another. But he talked about the hand of God carrying him at one place and carrying him out and setting him down in a valley full of dry bones. He talked about the hand of God carrying him. That is, God was with him, and this is what God did to him and with him. It is a symbol of the presence of the Lord. So when Jabez prays, Lord, I want your hand to be with me, he's praying for the power of God, and he's praying for the presence of God. But let me give you something else. Not only a word about defining the hand of God, but second of all, a word about describing the hand of God. Now, the Bible not only defines the hand of God as being symbolic of His power and of His presence, but it also describes the hand of God. Now, when I talk about God being a powerful God, I want you to understand something this morning. He is a powerful God. Can I get an amen there? I'm talking about the hand of God and what God can do, the power of God's hand. There are many illustrations in the Bible, but I want to just point out two. For one thing, I want you to notice in the Bible, there is a universal depiction of His power. Look at Psalm 19.1. There is a universal demonstration or universal depiction of the power of God. Look at Psalm 19.1. The Bible said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Now underscore the word handiwork. The firmament showeth His handiwork. The word handiwork there literally means the power of his hand. The psalmist said <clears throat> that the universe, the heavens and the earth, they depict the power of his hand. They show his handiwork. They show what God can do. I think about what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 32, 17. He said, Ah, Lord God, Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Now, how many of you this morning believe there's nothing too hard for God? Would you lift your hand? Now, would you say amen to that? There is nothing too hard for God. You know one of the reasons we know there's nothing too hard for God? The heavens. The universe, all that God has created depicts the ability of God. They show His handiwork. They show the power of His hand. Let me try to illustrate just a little bit about our universe to help you to comprehend the power of God's hand. Scientists tell us that light travels at the incredible speed of 186,000 miles per second. Now you think about that. When you walk over to a door, walk inside a door and flip a switch, immediately it's light. And that's because light travels at 186,000 miles per second. To give you an idea how fast that is, if you had a rifle that was capable of firing a bullet that would travel at the speed of light and follow the curvature of the earth unobstructed, that bullet would pass through your body seven times before you could even move out of the way. That's how fast 186,000 miles is per second. But I want you to think about this. Let's say we wanted to travel through the universe. 
And we wanted to leave earth and just travel through the universe. And we had the ability to travel at the speed of light. We were capable of traveling at 186,000 miles per second. Do you realize if we could travel at 186,000 miles per second, it would take us four and a half years to go from earth to the nearest star. Four and a half years traveling 186,000 miles per second, our nearest galactic neighbor, the Andromeda galaxy. And it would take us two million years to travel to uh, traveling at 186,000 miles per second, just get to the edge of the known universe. Now, would you not agree with me? It sounds like it's a pretty big deal out there. Now, let me give you another illustration. Imagine that the thickness of a page in your Bible, if you were to reach down and pick up a page of your Bible and put it between your thumb and index finger, imagine that the thickness of that page is the distance from the earth to the sun which is around 93 million miles. I'm using that measurement, the distance to the nearest star, which is four and a half light years away, would be a 71 feet high shelf of paper. And the diameter of our own galaxy, 100,000 light years away, would be a 310 mile stack of paper while the edge of the known universe would be a pile of paper one-third of the way to the sun, 31 million miles. See, the truth of the matter is our universe is so immense that you, it's impossible to produce a scale model. You can take anything you want to and you can produce a scale model of it except for the universe. And the impossibility of making a model accurately is shown by the fact that if the earth were represented by a ball one inch in diameter, if the earth was represented by a ball one inch in diameter, the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, would have to be placed 51,000 miles away. Now I'm asking you this something this morning. How did it all get here? How did all this immense, vast universe come into existence? I'll tell you how. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Now, would you not agree with me today that a God that could create the kind of universe that we live in is a God with a mighty hand? Would you not agree with me that He is a God of power? Well, they said in the Scripture that the heavens declare the power of His hand. Let me give you another one. Look in Psalm 78. Not only do you have a universal depiction of His power, but you also have a personal demonstration of His power. Look in Psalm 78. Notice verse 42. The Bible said, They remembered not His hand, nor the day when he delivered them from their enemy. Notice that. They delivered, they remembered not his hand. Now in Psalm 78, 42, the psalmist is rebuking the people for forgetting what God had done for them. He had delivered them. So what the latter part of verse 42 says. He had delivered them from Egypt. He rebukes them because they had forgot or they had got over. It was no longer a driving force in their life what God had done for them. But he makes a statement that God had delivered them, and He had delivered them by His hand. In other words, the night that God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was by the power of His hand. I read about a little boy that came home from Sunday school one day. His mother said to him, said, What did you learn in Sunday school today? And the little boy said, Well, Mom, we learned that Moses went behind the enemy lines, and he freed the Israelites. 
And then he took the army engineers and built a pontoon bridge across the Red Sea. And then when the Egyptian tank division started to cross the bridge, he called in dive bombers and they flew in and blew them to bits. His mama looked at him with somewhat shocked face and she said, is that what your Sunday school teacher is teaching you in Sunday school? He kind of lowered his head for a moment and said, well, no, Mom, but if I were to tell you what she taught us this morning, you wouldn't believe it, amen. Well, I want you to listen to me. God delivered the children of Israel at the Red Sea. And Psalm 48 or 78 tells us that it was a demonstration of His power. Look at verse 12, Psalm 78. Psalm 78, 12. The Bible said, Marvelous things did He in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt and the field of Zoan. Verse 13, He divided the sea and caused them to pass through and He made the waters to stand as a heap. Now you know the story very well. Children of Israel were leaving Egypt. God had finally worked things out. They were leaving. And they came to the Red Sea and they found themselves in sort of a cul-de-sac. They were hemmed in. The armies of Pharaoh were behind them closing in. The Red Sea was before them. And the terrain to either side prevented them from having a way of escape. But you know the story what God did for them. Psalm said, Psalm 78 said, that God parted the waters... And there was a wall of water on either side, and the Bible and other places tell us they crossed over on dry land. Someone is calculating for that many people to cross the Red Sea in one night, it would have required a passageway three miles wide. Now let me ask you something. And is our God able to do anything? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is the hand of God powerful? If God can create this universe, if God can part a Red Sea and let His children walk over, then I want you to know there is power in His hand. Look at Psalm 78. Notice verse 12 again. While I'm in Psalm 78, let me show you something interesting they said. Psalm 78, again, we read marvelous things did He in the sight of their fathers. Verse 13, he divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as a heap. Verse 14, in the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness. He gave them drink out of, the, out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Look at verse 17 and 18, 19. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for lust. Notice verse 19. Yea, they spake against God. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now you think with me just a moment. God had parted the Red Sea for them. God had divided the Red Sea, about a three-mile gap in there. Huge wall of water on either side. They crossed over on dry ground. The waters closed back up, destroying their enemy. And then God provided water, and God provided manna, and God provided their every need. And now here they are saying, can God? And you know what they ought to have been saying? They ought to have been running around shouting, God can. God can. After everything they had seen, they ought to have been saying, yes, God can. For His hand is a mighty hand. Can I get an amen right there? God's hand. Describing God's hand. It is a mighty hand. But let me give you a third and a final thing. A word about defining God's hand. It is a symbol of His power and a symbol of His presence. A word about describing His hand. It is a mighty hand. 
or just a word about desiring God's hand. Here's Jabez now. Jabez is praying, Lord, I want your hand to be with me. Jabez was asking God. He was saying, Lord, I want to know your power. I want to experience your power in my life. He's praying for the power of God. He's praying for the hand of God to be with him. He's praying for the hand of God to be upon him. He's asking God for his power. Can I say a word about two things? One, I think about the matter of seeing God's power. I don't know about you, but I want to see God's power, don't you? I'm talking about really seeing God's power. I think about our generation in which we live. There is so much junk going on and so much foolishness going on in the name of Jesus Christ. Anybody say anything they want to, do anything they want to, believe anything they want to, just hang Jesus on it and people swallow it hook, line, and sinker. I'm not talking about the wildfire and phony fire going on. I'm talking about really seeing the power of God. I'm talking about God being God. And the power of God being real in our midst. That's what I want to see. I want to see God's power. I want to see the same God that created heaven and earth doing something in my life that only God can get credit for. I want to see God, the same God that parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel, doing something in Temple Baptist Church that I can't get credit for and you can't get credit for, that only God can get credit for. I'm talking about seeing the power of God. I want to see that power. I want to see that power. But not only that, if we're going to see the power of God, there's going to be a seeking of God's power. Just like Jabez. Just like Jabez. Jabez said, Lord, I want your hand to be with me. He's seeking God's power. Well, if we're going to see God's power, we're going to have to seek God's power. What do we mean? Seeking God's power. He's coming to God and said, Oh God, I want you to feel me. Lord, I want you to fill me with the Spirit of God. I want to live in the fullness of God. I want to know your power. Remember when I first started years ago and how I became so hungry just to see God and just to see God do things. And I get anything I get my hands on and read about it. I remember reading about Oswald J. Smith who passed for a number of years the Great People's Church in Toronto, Canada. I remember reading a book I found a book by him entitled The Man of God. And I read every page of it and then read it again and read it again. But I remember one particular uh, story in there that he told about when he first started and how that he began to hunger for the power of God. He described walking back and forth in his room and the wee hours of the morning just walking back and forth and wringing his hands and said, Oh God, I want the power of God. Lord, I want to be used of God. I want your power. I remember reading about D.L. Moody. How one day, one night, two little ladies come up to D.L. Moody and they said, Mr. Moody, we're praying for you. We somewhat offended Moody. He said to them, he said, don't pray for me, pray for all the people. Pray for the people that are coming to the meetings. They said, no, we're praying for you. And it offended him. And so later on they kept coming back saying, we're praying for you. So finally Moody asked them, what are you praying for? And the little lady said, we're praying that you'll be filled with the Spirit of God and you'll know the power of God. Well, that offended him even more, but it sparked something in his heart. 
One day Moody was walking down Wall Street after months of pleading with God and after seeking God and asking God for his power. He's walking down Wall Street in New York City and he looked up toward heaven and said, Dear God, take absolute sway in my life. I can't live if I don't have your power. Moody said the power of God came upon him in such a way that he had to run to the room of a friend, run to the house and asked him if he had an extra room. And Moody said, I got on in that room by myself and fell on my knees. And he said, the power of God was so real, I had to ask God to stay his hand. Seeking God's power. I want God's power, don't you? I want this church to know God's power. We don't want to be a social club on the corner of 3200 Rossville Boulevard where we gather and are entertained. We want to come and meet God. Where the power of God is in this place. Where it's real, not of man, but it's of God. Give him praise. I mean, that's what we want from God. That's what we're asking God for. That's what Jabez prayed for. Oh, that your hand would be with me. I want you to pray that. I want you to pray that way. I want you to pray that way as a church. I want you to pray that way as a believer, Lord. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Oh, Lord, that you would enlarge my coast and that your hand might be with me. Won't you pray that? Let's stand our feet, please. There may be those in the building today that have never been saved. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're not absolutely certain that if you died that you'd go to heaven. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Brother Ken, I sure wouldn't want to go to hell. I wouldn't want to die and spend eternity in hell. I wouldn't want to be left behind if Jesus Christ come. Preacher, I'm not saved. I don't know that I'd go to heaven. And I want you to remember me. I want you to remember me in prayer. Would there be anyone across this building? And I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. Nobody will come to you. Nobody's going to embarrass you in any way. But we do love you and we want to pray for you today. And you'd say, Brother Ken, I don't know that I'm saved. I'm not saved. I don't want to go to hell when I die. Won't you pray for me? Would there be anybody across this building? Just slip your hand up. I see that hand. God bless you. Would there be another? Say, pray for me today. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't want to go to hell, preacher. Pray for me. I see that hand. Would there be anyone else? Anyone else? I want to pray for you. Bless you. I see that hand. Would there be anyone else? Let us pray for you today. I want you to know today, as Isaiah said, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. God's hand is a mighty hand. God's hand is a powerful hand. God's hand is a hand that can save you today. If you'll come to Jesus Christ... God will save you. And when we began to sing in a moment, I want you to come. You that raised your hand and said, I'm not saved. I want you to get out of your seat and come. My, uh, Aaron is here and Terry's here. Sherry's here. Others will be here. And they'll have their Bibles. And we'll show you from the Bible how you can leave this building knowing that you're saved. The Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. He can save you today. Then as we sing in a moment, I want many of you to get out of your seat. Many of you have been coming week after week after week, and you're praying the prayer of Jabez. The prayer of Jabez, we want to make it a personal prayer. My prayer, your prayer. We as a church pray in this prayer. Lord, that you would bless us indeed. That you would enlarge our coast. And that you would, that your hand would be with us. When we sing in a moment, I want you to come.
Find you a place, this old-fashioned altar. Get on your knees and pray the prayer of Jabez, that thy hand might be with me. Will you pray that prayer? There may be those here today who want to come and unite with our church. This is where God wants you to serve. We ask you to come when we sing. You can come right down here to the very front. Take a seat. There'll be someone to get the information from you that we need. Whatever the purpose, whatever the reason, we want you to come. Father, this morning in Jesus' name, you're a great God. You're a powerful God. Lord, you created this universe and all that is, that is, and all of it is a testimony of the power of your hand. All the things that you've done for your children personally through the years, they all testify of the power of your hand. Father, we want to know that hand. We want to know that power. We want to experience that power in our lives. We want to experience that power in our church. We pray that the hand of the Lord would be with us. Father, today I pray you would save those who are lost. Demonstrate your power in this service. Lord, stir the hearts of the people of God. Stir us as a body of believers that the hand of the Lord will be with us. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.